Thanks, James. Thanks, worship team. Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to Connect. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name is Roland, and uh, one of the pastors here, and really excited to be together tonight. Um, for once, it's a hot evening where I get to go into the swimming pool to baptize guys. Right? Normally, I'm thinking about wearing a wetsuit tonight. I'm the lucky one. Right? You guys are going to have to You're more than welcome to jump in, by the way, afterwards. Um, just if you're new, we, we've been going through a series called The Proverbial Life, and what it has been is a series in the Proverbs, primarily in the Proverbs, and we've been looking at how the Proverbs give us different bunches or, 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 or chunks of wisdom for certain areas in life. And so what happened uh, three weeks ago was Howard introed the series, and he did a whole uh, message on just a general overview of what the Proverbs are and how they are the wisdom of God. Then Jolene followed on from that, and she preached about wisdom in our virtual life and in the virtual space, social media, and things like that. Last week, I preached a message on wisdom with regards to finances and money. And this week, we're diving into somewhat of a controversial issue or hot topic, and that is the whole issue of authority and submission, right? And we're going, everyone's like, ooh. We're going to dive into that and just unpack what God's Word through the Proverbs and other scriptures has to say to us about the proper role of authority and the proper response of God's people when we're under submission. And as I was thinking about this, you know, wh whether we like it or not, we live in a world where many authority and submission structures exist. You're just not going to get away from that. And here's the thing. As you read God's Word, you realize authority structures and submission structures are necessary. And we'll get into why they're necessary just now. But Within most of us, if we're honest, there's this thing that desires to push back and kick back against authority. The idea of having anyone tell you what to do or suggest a better way or, or sort of lead you and guide you in a direction you don't want to go sort of doesn't go well with us. And I just thought like this whole idea of rebellion, it wouldn't exist if there wasn't authority in the world. But we rebel against authority. And there's this sinfulness in us that doesn't like authority over us. And I think that's because the enemy's done a number on us and pulled the wool over our eyes with regards to how we see authority and submission. Culturally, we've embraced this, this, this idol of, 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 of autonomy where it's just about me. And so the individual is responsible for their own morality and destiny and purpose. And so anybody suggesting anything other than what you want for yourself is seen as um, intrusive or oppressive. And submission is seen as weakness. It's never seen as strength. And the knock-on effect is that, and unfortunately, uncivil behavior has become the rule as opposed to the exception in our society today. We see police are not respected anymore. Teachers are pushed, punched, and verbally abused. Politicians and government officials are by default viewed as corrupt and honestly are more a source of content for comedians than anything else. Parents, especially in places like Europe, are being disempowered left, right, and center because of legislation being passed that empowers a, 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 a child more than it empowers the parent. And of course, there is also the other side of this. There's reasons why that's happening. One, I think we don't like authority just generally. But yes, police are corrupt. There are police who are corrupt. And there are teachers too who do abuse pupils, unfortunately. And there are parents out there who sadly do abuse their children. But the point is this. As we look at this idea of authority and submission, as we wrestle with this in our society today, as God's people, we cannot chuck the baby out with the bathwater. 
Because there are abuses of authority and because people don't respond well to submission doesn't mean authority and submission aren't good and shouldn't exist. But we have this tendency to view it as it's all or nothing. Even within the church, God's people, because of the abuse of authority and our incorrect response to authority, we tend to not like this idea. Even the words give us a bit of a knot in our stomach, submission and authority. It's like punishment. And sadly, what we don't realize, what many people don't realize, is that this is such a clever, tactical, powerful move on, the, on behalf of the enemy or on his side. It's just moved towards pushing us into this place where the abuse of authority and the resulting distrust causes us to want to reject authority, reject authority structures, not want to submit, and that results in chaos. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And here's why the enemy doesn't like authority. And here's why I think our sinful natures kick against it. It's because ultimately all authority belongs to God. Every authority structure comes from God. And what God establishes and gives to us is good. And the enemy would do anything and everything to rob us of that. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 13 verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Submission and authority are blessings from the Lord when done the Lord's way. And because of that, God's established authority and submission structures within the home. He's established them within the church. He's established them within government. And he's established them within the church and within business. If you think about authority and submission with, with regards to our salvation, our very salvation essentially is based on the fact that we deny our own authority and accept God's. We accept His authority, we submit ourselves to Him, and we respond to God as a submissive child, submissive son or daughter. And God's ultimately authority over us with His authority. So if the enemy can twist it, if he can bend this idea of authority and submission, if he can distort it, if he can rob us of its goodness, if he can destroy our love for it and our appreciation for it, although it's good, we're not going to like it. And ultimately, the enemy's won if he gets that right. Here's what a guy by the name of Carl Thomas said. He said, God has given us authorities and he's called us to submit because we live in a sinful world. He says, and without authority, everyone would do what is right in his own eyes, resulting in chaos. That's why this topic is such a hot topic. That's why this topic is such an uncomfortable topic sometimes to talk about. But that's why it's also such an important topic as God's people to unpack. Because at some stage in your life as a Christian, or even as someone who doesn't know Jesus, you're going to be in a position of authority and a position of submission. Whether it be the president, whether it be a boss at work, whether it be a parent, a teacher, a pastor, a ministry leader, a prefect, a team captain, it doesn't matter. There's going to be areas in your life where you step into positions where there are people under your leadership or authority. At the same time, you can also be, and probably are, a citizen of a country. An employee at work, a child at home, a student at school, a team member under a team captain. And God's desire for his people in all of this is that we redeem what has been lost. God's desire for us in this is that we respond in the right way to God and to people around us, reestablishing for people the goodness of God's um, intent in establishing 
authority structure and submission structure in this world. And so tonight what we're going to unpack is just two main, the two main headings. One, wisdom for those in authority and wisdom for those under authority. We're just going to unpack those two. And hopefully we leave you tonight really challenged and convicted. Challenged to use our authority well, convicted to respond to authority well and to honor God in this. So let's begin. Wisdom for those in authority. It would be wise for people in authority to begin with remembering that all authority belongs to the Lord anyway and ultimately, and that He has given you that authority to bring Him glory and to fulfill His purposes and to bless others. It's also somewhat important and a little bit sobering to remember that God is going to hold everybody in authority accountable for how they've exercised that authority. And as we exercise our authority, there are, there are duties that we have to do. And one of those duties is to make judgments, to, to make decisions. In Proverbs 16.10, it says, An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. As someone in leadership, as someone in authority, you are going to be called to make decisions. You're going to be called to pass judgments. You're going to be called to, at times, and a lot of the time, actually make the final call on something. God's desire for you is that you make that decision with godliness and justice and righteousness. That you honor the Lord. And here's why that's also, not, that's also important. Not only because God wants you to do that, and that's the right way to exercise your duty to make judgments as someone in authority, but because every decision you make as someone in authority is going to affect people under you. It's going to affect those that you lead. To quote Spider-Man's father, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? That's what he says. But I think about some examples that we've had in recent history. The Austra- I forget his name, but the Australian cricket captain who decided it would be good to take sandpaper to a cricket ball. That embarrassed an entire nation. Not only was he embarrassed and his co-conspirators embarrassed and kicked off the team for a certain amount of time, but the whole team suffered humiliation. The whole team got a bad name globally. And still to this day, I have an aunt and uncle who live in Australia. Still to this day, guys are not letting it go. I think about bad decisions that our government make to squander money and plow things into certain areas that we shouldn't be plowing money into and how ultimately, really, who it affects the most is the poor in this country. You know, we have this responsibility to be obedient to God and to make just decisions. Joshua made a really good decision when he decided to listen to the Lord and tell the Israelite people to march around the city of Jericho for seven days and then on the seventh day, seven times. It just seems like a crazy thing to do, but to listen to God and to be wise when it comes to decision making is important because what happened at the end was that the walls of Jericho fell. I just think as a leader and as someone in authority, you're going to have to make decisions and you don't know what the ultimate consequence of that decision is going to be, but you know this, that if you honor God with it, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for you and it's going to be good for the people under you. Not every decision is going to be easy, and I think this is the burden of leadership and people who carry authority. You'll, you'll know this. Not every decision is going to be easy. In fact, the more you love the people you're leading, the more difficult the decision becomes sometimes to make. But you have to ask yourself this question. In authority, when it comes to making judgments, is my character going to act as a cornerstone and as a foundation for me, or am I going to be swown, or s- swayed? left to right, moved left and right by every you know, wind that culture blows our way or every change that we face in culture. 
So the question really is how, how do we make good decisions? How do, we, how do we make wise decisions? God's word is very clear in the Proverbs. Seek wise counsel. One of your duties, the second duty of someone in leadership and someone in authority is to make sure you're not going it alone. You need people around you with godly wisdom to speak into your life. Proverbs 25 verse 45 says, Remove the dross from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove wicked officials from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. And then the next one's even simpler to read and, and even simpler to understand. Verse 16, uh, chapter 16 verse 13. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Many leaders have fallen from grace, Christian and non-Christian, because what they've decided to do is surround themselves with yes men. People who they think or know are going to say yes to every decision they make. And so the corrupt desires of their heart are not, are not challenged. They go unchallenged, and they just get away with anything. If you think about how different governments have reshuffled their cabinet members and ministers and, and, and positioned people to make sure that what they say goes. And I just think it's our responsibility as people who are leaders and in authority to surround ourselves with people who aren't just going to say yes because we've made the decision to do something, but who are going to respectfully challenge us in the decisions we make and the directions we want to go. It's one of your duties as somebody in authority not to go it alone. Although you carry the burden of leadership yourself, you have a responsibility to include those people that you lead and possibly people outside of your sphere of influence who are mentors and who are peers to help you to make wise decisions. Think about the story of Rehoboam. If you don't know it, it's, a, it's an amazingly sad story. But here's a guy who takes over leadership of Israel. He takes over from his father, Solomon. And Solomon pretty much made the people work really hard. And they come to King Rehoboam as he's installed as king, and they say to him, listen, hey, Please make things easier for us. We'll, we'll serve you and, and, and we'll love you all the days of our lives. Just make it easier. And so Rehoboam goes to consult. Now it would be great for it to come out, 1, uh, one Kings. Goes to consult with the elders who had served his father. And he says this. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served with his father Solomon during his lifetime. He says to them, how would you advise me to answer these people? They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them, and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now, Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. If you don't know the story, it didn't end well for everyone. The Israelite nation split into the northern and southern kingdom. I think it was a northern kingdom that went into exile very soon after that for 3,000 years captured by the Babylonians. And God's people were essentially never the same again because of that decision. He has a man who sought the advice of people who were in a position to give it to him and they never listened. He never listened because his heart was already intent on making sure he got what he wanted. And so he surrounded himself with yes men whose hearts were greedy for the plunders of 
the kingdom that they were going to be able to get through Rehoboam. Proverbs, sorry, the third one. Sorry, this is the third one. It's to administer justice. This is the third responsibility of somebody in leadership or in authority. Proverbs 20 verse 8 says, When a king sits in judgment, he weighs all the evidence, distinguishing the bad from the good. We've spoken about how the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. We need to be as people in authority and leadership seeking God for his wisdom. Because you have a responsibility to judge between what's right and what's not. Whether you're a king, a president, a CEO, a manager, an elder, a parent, a teacher, it doesn't matter. God expects you to exercise your leadership. And he expects you to exercise judgment and justice and authority in your leadership with integrity to honor him. In other words, those in authority are expected to celebrate and reward what is right and punish and, and, and rebuke what is wrong. We're meant to be doing that. Celebrating reward is, is easy. Celebrating what, what's right is, is easy, and, and it really produces good fruit. But to not do it produces bad fruit. Here's, here's what it says in Proverbs 24, 24 to 25. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nation. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty. Rich blessings will be showered upon them. Proverbs 29, 4. By justice, a king gives a country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns many people. And we have this responsibility to call out what is right because it is right to do that and to reward what is right. These biblical principles don't just apply to government officials. They apply to moms and dads in the home. They apply to teachers and, and headmasters in the schools. They apply to people uh, in business. They apply to leadership in the church. We have this responsibility to reward what is right. Call it out. Say, good job. This is good. This is right. This is deserving of praise. And then to rebuke and to punish what's wrong. This is a bit of a tough one rebuking and punishing what's wrong. It's a tough one. It's one of those terrible responsibilities you have as somebody in authority, but you're going to face times where you have to make a tough decision. It's easy to celebrate the good, but really difficult to tell people what they don't want to hear and to bring disciplinary measures into place where it's necessary for somebody's good. But here's what God's Word says about doing this. Proverbs 20, 26, A wise king winnows out the wicked. He drives the threshing wheel over them. Proverbs 18.5 It is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. Like a muddied spring, this is one of my favorites, one of the, like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. I think about the story of Samuel rebuking Saul. If you don't know the story, Saul was king over Israel. Samuel was the anointed prophet at that time over the people of Israel. And in some ways, Saul was in, under authority or under the authority of Samuel because Samuel was God's anointed prophet. But Samuel was also under Saul's authority because he was the king. There's this like sort of to and froing going on here. But they're at war with the Israelite enemy. And um, what's happening is Saul's on the battlefront and he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and 
bring a sacrifice and bring a sacrifice to the Lord before they went to battle uh, because that would have given them victory. And God said, this needs to happen. But Saul grew a bit impatient, sacrificed something on his own to the Lord without Samuel and went ahead in the battle anyway. And so we pick up where Samuel finds this out. He gets there and he sees that he's all done. He says, you have done a foolish thing. He has the rebuke straight away. You've done a foolish thing. Samuel said to him, you have not kept the command of the Lord that the Lord gave to you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure because you have not kept the Lord's command. We have a responsibility as people in authority and in leadership to exercise our authority to bring about a rebuke and punishment. For Saul, his rebuke was, you are a fool. His punishment was, the kingdom will now be torn away from you. Now, it doesn't always have to be that extreme, but the principle applies. He has another really hectic one, Achan and his family. If you don't know the story, Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. They have victory in Jericho. They lose against the city of Ai. They lose against the city of Ai because Achan and his family took stuff they weren't supposed to take from the city of Jericho. And because of that, the Israelite people lost against Ai. Joshua laments and mourns in the ground. God says, stand up, deal with the sin, and you'll have victory. God says, deal with it. They go and they find Achan, and this is what it says. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkey and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burnt them. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. That seems really harsh, and I'm not suggesting we stone and burn people as a result of them not doing what they're supposed to do or being rebellious or doing something wrong. I think the new covenant comes into this a little bit. But the principle still remains. God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of justice. He is also a God of love and mercy, but he hates wickedness and does not want wickedness to go unpunished. And as his people in leadership and authority, we have to adopt the same attitude. We can't give way to wickedness and let it go unpunished. We can't be like the, the shepherds who Ezekiel rebuked. And this is a really scary one for church leaders. But for any Christian leader, I was terrified when I read this. But here's what the Lord says. And it really speaks about the consequences of allowing sin to go unchecked. It says this, Ezekiel rebukes, the Lord rebukes him through Ezekiel. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and withhold and will hold them accountable for the flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. This really is a warning, I think, particularly to to people in leadership in church because we're talking about God's people here. But I think as God's people in authority outside of the church as well, you have a responsibility to look after the people God has given you to look after, whether they are Christian or not, 
whether you like them or not, your responsibility is to love them. And God will remove you from leadership if you don't do a good job. He will remove you because God will not suffer a wicked ruler or someone in authority that is in his name meant to be serving him well. That's a bit of wisdom for those in authority. What about wisdom for those under authority? In the same way that authorities are meant to be living out their responsibilities for the glory of God and will be held accountable to God for that, so those under authority need to be responsible to God for the way they respond to authority. And God's going to hold you accountable for the way that you submit to those who are in authority over you. Before we really unpack this section, I just wanted to briefly run through what submission is not. Because I think we've got a really bad idea of what submission is. And so we tend to want to avoid it. But as a Christian, I believe submission is not and does not mean you're never involved in decision-making processes. It doesn't mean that you can't respectfully communicate with those in authority over you. It doesn't mean that you just have to become a doormat and a yes-man. That's not what submission means. Submission doesn't mean that we follow any and every human authority regardless of how sinful the action is they're wanting to call us into. There's a limit, and I think there's a place where we can say no to authority when this is unbiblical. But we can't just rebel against authority because we don't like the idea. If it's unbiblical and sinful, sure. But submission doesn't mean you just give way to any decision that they make. Submission does not mean that those who submit are less important, less intelligent, or less godly, or less able to do what the person in authority is doing. It just means God has not anointed you or given you that responsibility, and that should be okay with you. Submission does not imply that you cannot think for yourself. God has not given us people in authority over, over us because they're more intelligent and we don't have minds to think for ourselves. So having said that, here's some of the duties that God says people in authority are meant to be fulfilling. One of them is to respect and honor authority. Proverbs 24, 21 to 22 says, Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials, for those too will send sudden destruction on them. And who knows what calamities they can bring. But what about leaders who aren't respectful or aren't respectable and aren't honorable, you say? Who aren't worthy of respect? Because a lot of us use that as an excuse not to respect people. We'll call people names, we'll run them down, we'll make jokes, we'll speak behind their backs. We'll try and bring them down because we don't think that they're worthy of being there. I would say that I think it's true respect is earned. I think respect is earned, but honor is given. Honor is given. Respect is, is based on how a person performs. But honor is based on a person's position. In other words, in our society, we should respect police officers, government officials, teachers, parents, leaders, because of their positions. Whether or not we respect them is based on how they perform in those positions. But if we respect them or not, we still honor them. We honor for position, if not for the occupant. There's a place where we need to understand that people can move in and out of positions, and, and it's the position that we honor because God has established that position as a leadership position. Who's in there might be more respectful than the next. 
but we honor the person, we honor the position, and we hope that they're worthy of respect. But even if they're not, we show them honor. Take, for example, the Bible's commandment to honor our mother and our father. This commandment is not given based on the fact that we think parents are deserving of honor or not. It's commanded to us to respect our mother and father because of the position they hold in our lives. So yes, there are going to be people in authority who don't deserve our respect because of their attitudes and their actions, but still our responsibility is to submit because that is God's best. Think about the story of David and Saul. Just a bit of background there. Saul was a wicked king who rejected God, and God had said to David, you will now take over the kingdom. Saul was pursuing David and wanting to kill him, had cast him out. David was a runaway. He was a fugitive. Saul was pursuing him with a band of men to take David's life. And they come into this place where it says, the Bible says, Paul wanted to relieve himself. And so he goes into a cave to relieve himself. But in the cave, lo and behold, are David and some of his mighty men. And some of David's mighty men say to him, go now, kill Saul. Look, the Lord has delivered him into your hand. Now's the opportunity. Go, kill him. Take the kingdom. Here's this guy who's pursuing your life. End it. And here's what it says. David and his men were far back in the cave. Then the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. For after having cut off a corner of, his, for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe, he turned and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not follow them into attack Saul. Whether you like it or not, any and everybody in a position of authority is anointed by God to be there. Whether you think they should be there or not is not for you to decide. What is for you to do as someone under authority is to submit and to realize that they are God's anointed. I think about the story of Elisha. Who his, his first act or miracle as an anointed prophet was to call out a bear from the woods to maul 40 youth to death. I've wondered about the point of that story. He has this guy walking down the road, a bunch of unruly youth come up out of the town that he was going down into. They tease him and say, hey, baldy man, hey, baldy man. He calls a curse upon them. Out of the woods comes a bunch of bears. Mauls the youth, the bears disappear, and Elisha goes on his way. I'm like, Lord, what is the point of that story? And I may be wrong, but this is what God dropped, in, dropped into my heart. Don't mess with the Lord's anointed. That's, that's what God said to me. Don't, don't, don't do that. And I've been so guilty of doing that myself where I think like I've got the answer and I've got the right attitude and they shouldn't be there. Don't mess with God's anointed. The second one is don't cause a revolt. Don't cause a division or don't start a revolution. Yes, we want to be revolutionaries, eh? God says, don't do that. Do you know how many churches have been divided, how many families have split, and how many countries have gone to war just because people didn't like what they're being told to do? So let's start a revolution. This attitude in Proverbs 24 says leads to a worse situation than the one you were in before your revolution idea began. That's what the disciples thought Jesus was going to do. It's what the Israelite nation thought the Messiah was going to do. 
come and cause a revolution, overthrow the Roman government, and once again the Israelite nation will have a king on the throne. Here's what John 6 verse 15 says, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, a revolution, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus was not into revolutions and political revolutions and overthrowing governments. Jesus was into winning people for the kingdom because that's what's most important. Jesus was into submitting to the will of his father. Jesus was into submitting to his parents. Jesus was into submitting to the ruling authorities of the day. That's what Jesus was into. And I think we need to be into that as well. Not everything is going to go our way. Not everything is going to be liked by you when it comes to the decisions people in authority over you make. You're not always going to agree with your leaders and your authorities and those in positions of leadership over you. But it's how you respond and the attitude that you have that shows your godliness and your character. If you want to be like Jesus, you submit in a godly way. Understanding what submission means and knowing that your Savior led the way in submission first. Do we rebel and leave a church? Do we stir up division at work or in the home or at church? Do we slander people behind their backs in an attempt to overthrow the leadership and get our way? Nine times out of ten when we do that, it's because we think we know someone else who's better than the person in the job to do the job, or we think we're better ourselves to do it. If you are not anointed to be there, don't push it. God will deal with those in authority in his time and the way he desires to deal with them. And he will anoint someone for the position of leadership when he desires to anoint them. Proverbs 6.20 speaks about the third thing we do and responsibility as those under leadership is to submit and to obey authorities. My son, keep your father's commandments, it says, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Although this is a specific teaching into the family context, it's still a biblical principle. That's applied to every area of life. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over you and over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I just say that there is probably a whole bunch of stuff that you don't know those in leadership over you are carrying and having to deal with, and having to go through, and having to work with. There's a lot of stuff that you have no idea about that makes leadership really tough. And unless you've been there, you don't know what I'm talking about. And that's why God's Word just gives us a bit of tender advice here. Don't make a person in authority's job more difficult than it needs to be. Don't start tuning the traffic officer when you know you've been breaking the speed limit. When you know your car wasn't licensed and you got a ticket for it, don't do that. Don't just moan and complain because it's good to moan and complain. Make their job easier. A happy leader means happy followers. Happy life, happy wife, happy wife, happy life. Same principle. Romans 13 says, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment for the authorities are ministers of God. Now that one might be difficult for our heads to get around when we think about some of our government officials. But the reality is they are there because God has got a purpose for them to be there. From the smallest leadership position 
to the highest authority in the land. God has established it. The fourth and final duty of those under authority is to look to be helpful and to be a support to those in leadership. You do that by working hard, Proverbs 22. You do that by being patient and gentle and helping a leader to make correct decisions. You do that by being wise and you do that by being humble. That's how you help those in authority over you. Particularly this one being patient and gentle, helping a leader to make correct decisions. You know, most good leaders worth their weight in gold. Most people who are worth their weight in gold and authority actually want advice from people around them. And if you just talk to them gently, doesn't matter how they talk to you, if you just talk to them gently, the chances are, like God's word says, a gentle tongue can break a bone. You can get a lot of stuff done if you have the right attitude. Imagine if godly wisdom and the fear of the Lord were the ruling and reigning attitudes that we had when it comes to authority and the way we use it and submission and the way we respond to those in authority. Imagine what that would do in our nation and in our homes and in our businesses and in our churches. Imagine if those in authority were filled with the Spirit of God and fulfilled their duties with justice and righteousness and were men and women of righteous conduct. Imagine if those under authority respected the people in authority over them and gained their respect by loving them and supporting them. This world would be so different. And here's the awesome thing. That is possible with the Spirit of God and the wisdom of Proverbs in our lives. It's possible. In closing, I just want to say this. All of this is dependent on who your ultimate authority is in life. You know, I came to a place in my life where I gave my life to Jesus, and essentially what I said was, God, no more. You take over. And ever since I surrendered my life to Jesus and allowed his authority to be the ruling and reigning authority in my life, I have found purpose, I have found meaning, and I have found blessing beyond explanation because God is a good God. He's a good God. His authority over us is good. His call to submission in our lives is good. And if you're in a place where you don't know Jesus, I want to say this to you. Maybe it's time you reevaluated who the king of your life should be or who the queen of your life should be and just give God a chance. We're going to go baptize four people who've done that, who've given Jesus that chance and who've said, Jesus, you're my king. Come and rule and reign over me. And we're going to, we're going to get to celebrate their public display of submission to God's authority and to his will in their lives. And it's going to be a great time together. But I wanted to pray for us and just commit us to the Lord and ask that God would stir this word up in our hearts. And the team are going to come up. And while the team play, we're going to just have a, a closing song of worship. And then afterwards, if you can make your way to the swimming pool, that would be great. Please come into the swimming pool area and don't stand around the fence. We won't push you in, I promise. It's just a little bit weird when you stand outside the fence. But please make your way there afterwards. But I just want to pray. And if, if you want prayer for anything, we're going to come back here afterwards. We don't want to miss what God wants to do. We want to celebrate baptisms. But we also want to come back here tonight and pray for people who need prayer. Maybe even someone wants to give their life to Jesus. Repent of sin. Maybe you need to say sorry to people who have an authority over you. Maybe there's a place you need to deal with your submission issues in your heart before the Lord. Because ultimately, if you have a submission issue with somebody, you've got a submission issue with God. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you.
that you love us so much and so deeply. I want to thank you, God, that your will is good and just and pure for all your people and for us as individuals. I thank you that you are the ruling, reigning authority and there is no higher. I thank you that we can trust you, that you are a God who exercises authority with righteousness and justice and with a pure heart and with love, God, and with an intent to bless people. And Lord, I pray that we would respond to you with submission as is appropriate to you, Lord. And I pray that we'd respond to one another, those in authority that we would lead and exercise authority with great wisdom, with the fear of the Lord in our hearts, with the desire to love the people under us and to serve them and to do our job well. And God, I pray for those in positions of submission who are under authority. God, may we respond to people above us and over us that you've placed there with love and respect and honor. May we look to be a support. May we look, God, to be a help and not a hindrance. And God, forgive us for where we've stepped out of line, for where we have caused division or heartache, or where we've been sinful, God, because of our actions and attitudes. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Transform us by the Spirit inside and out. In your name I pray. Amen. If all the guys being baptized,